morning and welcome to Christ Church Online. My name is Dave Zellis and my family and I have worshiped here for over 31 years. And like you, I've been worshiping at home, but was invited to stop in to record this greeting. When we're here on campus, I split my time serving as a bass in our chancel choir and as an officer alongside a faithful group of men and women. If you attend the Oakbrook campus, you have seen me here in our beautiful sanctuary, extending a warm welcome and the worship bulletin. Since I cannot hand you one today, did you know you can now find these online? And while I miss being here with my usher team, the choir, and all of you, I am thankful we can stay connected through this online ministry. If you're worshiping with us for the very first time, a special welcome to you. We'd love to get to know you. So if you're ready to take the first step, click the new here button below your screen or the link in the chat on Facebook. Now let's turn our attention to Reverend Klingelhofer as he leads us in the worship of God. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh who came to live among us with power and might. Come, let us worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Come, let us honor him and honor him alone. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world, sins that he bore in his body on the cross so that we might have life. So come, friends in Christ, and let us praise him for his faithfulness as we join our voices in song.
Please join with me now as we bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, you are our shelter from the stormy blast. So as we begin this new day, we ask for your abiding presence to reside with us and direct us as we pour out our hearts to you in worship. In the midst of the turmoil, pain, and uncertainty of these days, we come to rest in you, O Lord. We come to focus our hearts and our minds on your life-saving word, to be reminded again of your eternal, magnificent, and amazing love for all creation. And we come with expectant hearts, knowing you will sustain us through times of trouble. So embolden our worship, we pray, with the power of your Holy Spirit, and lead us closer to the throne of grace. Open our hearts to experience your abiding presence and draw us closer to one another and to you. Lord, forgive us for all the ways we doubt you as we make our way through these mysterious days. Regardless of how unsettling things appear, remind us you are in control and impress upon us once again that even though we are hopelessly lost without your life-giving forgiveness, that forgiveness is available to all who put their faith and trust in you. May it be so for us this day, as we worship you in spirit and in truth, for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The Bible says that if we claim we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, my friends, may the God of mercy who forgives us all our sins strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, keep each and every one of us in eternal life. Friends, may we believe this good news that in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. In response to God's saving love, let us join our voices now by reciting the ancient words that are found in the Apostles' Creed. Wherever you may be this day, let us proclaim these enduring truths with confidence, boldness, and faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Please pray with me. Almighty and powerful God, we come before you in prayer this morning, mindful of all we have to be grateful for. We celebrate your faithful and powerful sovereignty over all. And we give you thanks for the life you breathe into us. Thank you for your mercy during this time of uncertainty and turmoil and for your abiding power to make all things new. May that power descend upon your people now to bring us what we need as we travel the bumpy road ahead. Every day we're reminded of the layers of pain and suffering experienced by so many in our society and across the globe. We think of brothers and sisters under attack because of their faith in you. We remember children suffering in poverty and men and women who have lost their jobs. We pray for those who suffer from COVID-19, for their courageous caregivers who risk their own infection, and for families who are separated, especially the elderly, who are often completely isolated from anyone that they know intimately. For those exhausted from working at home while also trying to educate and care for children, we pray for respite in the midst of constant stress and confusion. In this season, when we are clearer than ever how much human community matters, our hearts ache over every incident and experience that divides us as people. We were not in that Georgia neighborhood when Almond Arbery died, but we grieve his death as we would if one of our own family members were killed while out for an innocent jog. We pray for justice to be done in this case, O God and for an end to the racism and violence that afflicts the human family. As you cross so many social and religious divides in your time to witness to your Father's kingdom, grow our commitment to be bridge builders in our time. So help us, Lord, to be the church of bold witness in times of trouble. Help us to be the church that proclaims truth in the face of opposition. Help us to be the church distinct from culture. And hear these prayers, O God, and inspire us by your spirit and strengthen us by your grace as we pray for each other and our world in the powerful name of our Savior, who teaches us to pray together by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, a very warm good morning and welcome again to worship on this glorious Lord's Day. If you are joining us for the very first time, we are thrilled that you have come to be with us and we pray that you will be enriched and encouraged by worship this morning. During these difficult days, we want you to be aware of the variety of resources and opportunities that we have designed to help you stay connected to God and one another. The first opportunity is something that we are calling connection groups. Connection groups are small groups of people who gather on a weekly basis to connect with one another and to study God's word. Instead of meeting in person, we meet together online. If you visit the link on your screen, you will learn everything that you need to know about how to join a connection group. Some groups are meeting on Sunday mornings, others are meeting during the week at other times, and there are a variety of options to fit your schedule, including special groups for families with children and other life stage groups that might just be of interest to you. The second opportunity we have to connect with others and go deeper in your faith is an upcoming workshop called Financial Peace. Financial Peace is a nine-week workshop that provides practical, biblical-based help and steps to get people out of debt, to set up for a solid financial future, to build wealth, and to be outrageously generous with the resources God has given to them. Whether you feel like you are in a financial crisis or perhaps you are trying to avoid one, financial peace can help you learn to manage God's money in God's way. On your screen, you will see the link to this unique ministry and I wanna encourage you to click and learn more about how this ministry can support you as you learn new ways to manage the resources that God has entrusted you with. Close to 40% of the people who attend Financial Peace are brand new to Christ Church. And so it's another wonderful way for you to meet some new people. Invite your family, your friends, your neighbors to join us online on June the 1st. The staff and leadership of Christ Church are very interested to know how you are doing and what we can help and in what ways we can help serve you doing, during this very unusual time. Author and speaker Ann Voskamp recently said, we're all experiencing the same storm, but we're all in different boats. And isn't that true? We want to know what it's like to be in your shoes in your particular boat. We know that the degree of hardship and the depth of the challenges that you face vary from person to person. And we wanna help you in any way we possibly can. So please tell us how you're doing and how we can best serve you by taking a brief survey that you can find by going to the link on your screen. It will only take you a few minutes to take the survey, so please give it a try. It's a great way for you to help us learn 
how we can serve you better during these challenging times. When you give to Christ Church, you are helping create resources and opportunities which deepen faith and empower other believers. Connection groups and financial peace and others like these are available online from any place on the planet that has an internet connection. Christ Church is committed to constantly adapting to this new and very strange world of COVID-19 because we are passionate about connecting with one another in community and growing deeper in our faith in the midst of this storm. So thank you so much for your faithful commitment to Christ Church and for your ongoing support of all the ways that we are becoming better equipped to share the gospel with a needy and expectant world. You can give now by texting to the number on your screen, by clicking the Give button online, or mailing or dropping a check here to the church. While we reflect on giving to a God who gave it all for us, let's continue our worship now as we listen to the music offered by our wonderful women's quartet.
unexpected moments of life that we rediscover how much we mean to each other. For Richard, for poor. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. And the value of together. It's where we find the courage to be brave and adapt. Happy birthday. It's where we find new ways to show I care. It's in these unexpected moments of life where vulnerability is celebrated. Thank you. And compassion is championed. where love needs no words. In this season of uncertainty, hold fast to this truth. God is here. The food drive that so many of you have been generous and a part of. He is faithful. And he is good. <laughs> His grace abounds. His love is certain, even in the unexpected. <gasps> it's a pleasure to welcome you today to part two of a multi-week exploration of the book of Ruth. Other than the story of Jesus himself, I don't know another narrative in the Bible that is more relevant to the times that you and I are living through right now than this story that we started studying together last week. The book of Ruth is about a group of people confronted by an unthinkably difficult and unexpected crisis. It's a crisis that threatens their very livelihood and indeed their own lives and which, therefore, demands an extraordinarily creative and persevering response from them. Sound familiar? The details of the story are not exactly like what you and I and our world are going through right now, but the things that these people did in response to what they faced are definitely the kinds of behaviors that you and I would do well to pursue in relationship to the challenges of our times. So let me just set the stage by providing a quick summary of where we are for those of you who couldn't be with us here last week. A Jewish woman by the name of Naomi has moved from her home country in Judah to the hostile land of Moab in the east. She's gone there with her husband to escape a terrible famine that threatens to starve her family to death. And there in Moab, everything that could go wrong does go wrong. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, suddenly dies very young. Her two sons, who have married Moabite women, also mysteriously perish. Naomi is a triply bereaved, aging stranger in a foreign land with no reasonable hope of supporting herself. And if you'd told Naomi 10 years earlier than this that she was going to find herself in this position, she would likely have said, no way, not me. This whole situation was totally unexpected. So what does Naomi do with these circumstances? Well, the Bible suggests that she paid, first of all, attention to the news. She refused to wallow forever in despair. She kept her wits about her. She surveyed the world around her for signs of hope, for some tiny crack in the door of opportunity that she might move toward. And finally, Naomi met it. 
Word on the street was that the tide of disaster back in Judah that had first driven her out here to Moab had shifted. The famine there had receded and the economy was coming back. We pick up the story at verse 6. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Along the journey to Judah, however, Naomi has this second thought, and the text goes on and says, Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you. Go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Naomi is basically encouraging her daughters-in-law to forget trying to come with her to Judah. She knows that that's a place where Moabites are going to be persona non grata because of their pagan religious beliefs, their status as citizens of one of Israel's worst enemies. It's much better that you go back to Moab and find a good husband there, she says. And the text says that then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. Now, there is an incredible irony here. As far as the average Israelite would have been concerned, these Moabites who are talking would be considered faithless and morally bankrupt people. The Jews in that particular time looked at Moabites the way Jews in Jesus' time looked at Samaritans, which is to say, not with a happy face. Yet just look at the incredible faithfulness and the amazing virtue that's demonstrated here and toward a mother-in-law of all people. <laughs> when somebody says to you, hey, let me tell you about my mother-in-law, we usually brace for some kind of sharp-tongued complaint or some tale of woe springing from the habitual pain of that relationship. I suppose it's possible that Ruth and Orpah simply had the world's greatest mother-in-law, like you do, I hope. Naomi's name literally means lovable or delightful. Maybe she was like that. Chances are, however, that Naomi wasn't perfect. Chances are that the devotion shown by these daughter-in-laws here was an act of disciplined commitment instead. And I want to say more about that in just a moment. But I invite you to just make this mental note, if you will. It is not always the religious insider who exhibits the heart of God. Jesus made this point time and time again as he challenged the superficial religiosity of the Pharisees. And as he so often held up as an example for all to follow, the compassion of a non-Jew, of a good Samaritan, as he talked about the generosity of an impoverished widow, as he reflected on the love of a woman of ill repute who broke an alabaster jar of perfume and anointed Jesus for his burial. Would God prefer it if those who kept all the religious rituals were also the greatest exemplars 
of genuine compassion and generosity and love and loyalty? Does God like it when those of us who can say the Apostles' Creed by memory do an even better job of loving strangers and supporting broken people than the folks in AA do? Well, maybe he does. I can't say. But given a choice between real faithfulness and mere religious frosting, Jesus makes it very clear which one delights God. And that thought both humbles and inspires me. How about you? So there they are. There they are stopped along the road and everybody is crying. It's a moment of agonizing choice. It's the sort of crucial kind of choice that comes to all of us amidst the inevitable changes and the challenges of our lives. The kind of choice about where our ultimate loyalties in life lie. The kind of choice that has the power to turn a problem-filled present into a promise-filled future. So in this case, the older woman uh, goes on to speak. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought that there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? Naomi's rather puzzling comment here refers to a tradition that was known as leveret marriage. It was a social convention that had been commanded by God in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. You could read it for yourself. But in this tradition, a deceased man's brother was called upon to care for his uh, brother's widow as if he were actually her own husband. If Naomi could marry and have more sons, there would be hope for her dead son's widows. But Naomi knows that she's too old for more kids and that even if she could have them, her daughter-in-laws would starve while waiting for those kids to grow up to marrying age. Let me digress here for just a moment and make an observation about this whole leverate marriage tradition. I wonder sometimes whether we would need a very large government at all if the people of our nation were guided by that same sort of compassion, that same sense of interconnectedness represented by the social laws that God wove into the life of ancient Israel. I might add that this very same web of interdependence, of mutual support, of coming to each other's rescue in times of need, of adopting our, our, our people into a larger kind of family is also at the very heart of the biblical vision of the church. God's vision is that no one should ever have to go it alone in this world. To this end, somebody has calculated that we're every single church in America to commit itself to helping just 10 poverty-stricken families to get on their feet, poverty could be completely eradicated in this nation. We're going to have a hard time 
bouncing back from this particular crisis we're in in America right now. But the action of individual churches and individual families and neighborhoods to reach out to the vulnerable in our communities can have a transforming kind of difference. Let's be leaders of that sort of movement. In any event, Naomi uh, continues uh, on in the story here. She says, uh, no, my daughters, no. Uh, It's more bitter for me than it is for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me and at this they wept again. It's an incredibly heart-rending scene here. It's like one of those movies where a mother is is giving up her children to save them from destruction and you just watch as the the train or the lifeboat pulls away and the mother is just weeping and the children are crying with their arms outstretched and it's just amazing to me that Hollywood has not stumbled across this story and made a movie about this. It's an incredible drama. Part of the agony for Naomi is that she believes that the Lord's hand has turned against her. She says that there. She just assumes that the tragedy she's experiencing is a a clear sign that either God is punishing her or he's just brushing her pains away as insignificant to him. That wasn't true for Naomi. That isn't true for any of you who are suffering right now. There's a very important takeaway here in the story. Like I said last week, life is what happens when you've made other plans. The pain of life is not, however, a sign that God has turned his hand against you. On the contrary, it is an occasion to reach out for God's hand. As we're going to see, God had not abandoned Naomi as he does not abandon you in your time of need. We're told then that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. In other words, Orpah saw the common sense in Naomi's counsel, and so she kissed her mother-in-law so long. By the way, in speaking of common sense, I mentioned that uh, Oprah uh, had a name that sounded a lot like Orpah. But do you know that the famous talk show Maven's mother actually named her Orpah after this biblical character? It got misspelled on her birth certificate and so her mom just went with it and the rest is history. For all Oprah's many good qualities, it's always struck me as sort of sad that she eventually walked away from her mother's biblical faith. But Ruth clung to her mother-in-law, the Bible says, We pick up the story in verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Naomi thinks of the profound bond Ruth has with her own religion, with her sister and her whole family, with all of her people, and out of compassion for all of those natural human connections and concern for Ruth's future, Naomi says, go with Orpah. Go with Orpah. She's going to have a great media empire someday. (laughs) Just kidding. But we're told in verse 16, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you don't do that and then she goes on and what follows are among the most beautiful words of commitment 
ever spoken from one person to another. She says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people. And your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. I want to invite you to really think about this for a moment. Ruth is willing to leave behind her homeland. She is willing to sacrifice her very best remarriage prospects. She's up for putting herself in physical danger out of voluntary devotion to another. Pause for a moment and notice what a total alliance of one's interest to another's that these words of Ruth imply. She is saying, I am committed to you vocationally. Where you feel called to go, I'll go there. I am with you domestically or daily. Where you stay, I will stay. I am with you relationally. Your people will be my people. I am with you spiritually. Your God will be my God. I am with you permanently till death do us part. They are rare indeed, but these are the kinds of commitments that mark the very best marriages, the very best kind of families, and the most exemplary friendships and small group relationships. The sort of promises somebody makes to you or that you make to them in saying, I am all in for you, I am all in with you. There's nothing like being at the giving or the receiving end of that kind of devotion from someone else. Have you ever committed yourself to someone like that? Could you or would you? The choice to be faithful in relationship, particularly when that relationship requires a lot of sacrifice, a lot of risk, that is one of the most influential of all the actions we can ever take in this world. And even if we can't live out our commitments perfectly, devoting ourselves to standing with and serving one another is one of the most Jesus-like things we ever get to do. Because Jesus is the one who promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. At its core, and above all else, the book of Ruth is about the fidelity of God. The Apostle Paul once observed uh, to his protege, Timothy, uh, in one of his uh, letters, he says, uh, to Timothy, uh, if we have died with Christ, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God's essential nature is faithfulness. His basic nature is consistency and integrity with what he's promised. And so I pray that the knowledge and the example of God's fidelity, his faithfulness, will be both a comfort and also an inspiring 
challenge to you and, and to me. The scripture concludes um, that when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her to go back with Orpah. I have this theory that a smile of pleasure spread across Naomi's face as she settled into a silent sense of wonder that with all that she had lost, with all that seemed so uncertain or frightening about the future, she had been given in this remarkable daughter-in-law a love of the highest kind. Makes me think of the story of the man who once watched two children spending hours building a sandcastle along the shore and then saw it suddenly washed away in a single moment by a huge wave. The man fully expected the children to stomp their feet and to start wailing out, but to his utter amazement, they went dancing down the beach hand in hand. And the man telling the story says it it was then that it hit him. At some point, everybody's castles get knocked over. At some point, everyone faces the storm, says Jesus. At some point, a crisis comes to us all. But, But what really makes the difference in those moments is not only where your feet are planted, but that you have someone else whose hand you can hold when it does. This is why our church just keeps on encouraging you to join in one of our small groups if you haven't already. It's why I hope that if you're going through a hard time, you will also reach out for God's hand. Even when we can't feel his fingers, he is holding you. His love for us is utterly faithful His plan for you and me is completely wise. The Bible goes on to say that so the women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. The word Mara means bitter. I went away full, she says, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Again, we can't blame Naomi for her feelings here. Like we can't get angry at people that are struggling and expressing it in this time. Naomi can only see in a glass darkly at this particular point. But one day, Naomi and you and I will see face to face and we will know the love that will not let us go. And so Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And oh, what a harvest was waiting. As you will see when we pick up the story next time. Please pray with me.
our gracious and good God. In times of darkness and struggle, of confusion and uncertainty, give us the gift of someone truly committed to us. Someone truly willing to go with us through the valleys and the uncertain parts of life. Thank you, Lord God, for those people in our families, our small groups, our circles of love and friendship that are those committed people in our lives. Move us, O oh God, to be even more committed to the people around us, to show them in practical ways that we will go with them always, even as you have promised to do the same and even more with us. So trusting in your presence as we go now, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's been so great to have you sharing in our time of worship this morning. And I just want to encourage us to remember some thoughts to take with us so far from this series. In the first week, we tried to impress upon everybody that the life of individuals is of immense importance to God. Never doubt that he sees you. Also remember that the life of a, an individual or a family is often essential to a far greater and more wonderful design than can be seen at a particular moment. Thirdly, remember that every life is inevitably marked by difficult change and challenges. Don't consider it an exception and wonder, oh, why me? This is part of the deal uh, as we move through this life. Uh, fourthly, the choices one makes in the face of such struggles can really help to turn the outcome for good. And as we've tried to impress upon everybody today, the choice to be faithful in relationship, particularly when that requires sacrifice, is one of the most influential 
of all the choices we ever made. Sixthly, it is not always the religious insider that is the greatest exemplar of, of that kind of faithfulness, even if they ought to be. And then the path of life, remember this, is not a sign that God has turned his hand against you. When you find pain along that path, don't read it as a sign that he's turned against you. On the contrary, it's an occasion to reach out for God's hand, for the faithfulness of God is total. And now, beloved, go forth in hope. Seek out the way of the Lord in all of your goings, humbly lifting up those who may have fallen down. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of God's Holy Spirit be with you this very day and until we meet again and forevermore. Amen.